Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You just said win to all. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's nearly as good as my agenda with Manchester United. I love that ball. Good work. It is Monday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Weekend Review Podcast with me, Adam Baldwin, the one and only Dave O'Brien. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds pretty chipper for, uh, for someone who was just beaten by Rafa Benitez. Newcastle weekend there, Dave. Uh, but that brings us perfectly on to Chris Hennage, who joins us live from New York in a Starbucks, I think, Chris. Yes, on, on location. Yeah, and the music sounds suitably, uh, suitably cheerful there. Uh, guys, we are going to be talking about Manchester United's defeat to Newcastle at St. James Park on the weekend. We're also going to be talking the North London derby, Spurs with a 1-0 win themselves over Arsenal there. We're also going to be previewing the UEFA Champions League quarterfinal fixtures this week as well. So all very exciting. Uh, we do have to talk about the North London derby first, though. Um, I'm very happy to talk about it, I've got to say. Uh, a very... Very exciting game uh, at Wembley. 1-0 it finished in the end to Spurs. Deserving winners, I think it's fair to say, Dave. Although it felt like it could have been 3 or 4-0 maybe to Spurs. It didn't really make their superiority count and perhaps uh, could have uh, could have dropped two points at the end there if Lacazette had finished that very presentable chance in the closing stages. Yeah, I found it a really interesting game tactically. It was just what Pochettino does so well, find the spacing between the opponent's lines. And what we saw against Manchester United at Wembley, you know, another big game for Pochettino was he played a very narrow three where Sonna, Ali and Eriksen came, you know, sort of overloading the Man Matic centrally. But it was a different different attitude against um, Arsenal in the way where it was more that they were focusing it down the left-hand side. I thought Human Son was brilliant. I absolutely love Human Son. I think he's really coming on mm. as a player, both... Uh, tactically and defensively but what he did against United was come narrow and receive the ball to feet what he did against Arsenal was stay wide and create that width and it was perfect it was a very impressive performance from Spurs you think uh, they definitely seemed to put the pressure on in the, in those opening stages really looked to uh, to make their, their dominance count it looked like they were open on the counter attack though Dave Arsenal couldn't quite take advantage of it but they had that pace with Obama out front of course to try and stretch Spurs they didn't seem to make it count but it did seem like there was an opportunity missed there maybe by Arsenal in that in that first half yeah well they had, they had a few through balls or through passes that, that didn't find their target and it's, it's dangerous for Spurs in a way because they do play so high Wembley is such a long pitch and that's a big thing that you get an appreciation when you go to Wembley of how big the pitch is in terms of length 
when you've got someone like a Bemiang, you put him through once, you know, he's going to have the pace to completely outrun the opposition's defence and then, you know, have a chance on goal. And that's what Arsenal's game plan was. It was to sit deep in a 4-5-1 and then look to play through balls through. The, the weird side with Arsenal, I thought, was why play Mkhitaryan on the left and Ozil on the right when Mkhitaryan had just registered three assists against Everton playing from the right-hand side and looked really good drifting inside off the right flank. just seems, again, like Wenger tactically just doesn't seem to know what how to get the best out of some of his players, how to utilise someone like Henrik Mkhitaryan. It just seems so hot and cold, so hit and miss. And then, obviously, throwing Lacazette on, he puts Lacazette centrally and moves Aubameyang wide. And again, it's one of these things where they're both strikers, they're both centre-forwards. You know, Lacazette ain't played on the, on the wing for like four years. Aubameyang was awful on the wing for Borussia Dortmund. It just seems like Wenger, again, when a 4-4-2 was calling, he could have gone 4-4-2, Lacazette and Aubameyang, and he didn't do it. And it just seems like Wenger, again, cost himself in these big games. But credit to Pochettino, I think. I mean, I was surprised by Arsenal. I think it was clear they couldn't match Spurs' intensity. Uh, they couldn't match... Their level, I think mean, I said on Twitter, I thought it was pathetic, to be honest, that, that Spurs were so aggressive in their approach. You could clearly see that players like Harry Kane, like Dali Alley, were so up for this. And they understood what this derby was about. Arsenal didn't really seem to have that. I mean, Jack Wilshere, as much as I dislike him, seemed to have that aggression in him and seemed to have that will to win. I'm not sure anyone else on the Arsenal team did. But aside from that sort of mentality side, Chris, as Dave's saying, they're tactically... Arsenal weren't helped by Wenger's decision. I mean, it does seem like an incredibly unbalanced squad now, and that isn't helped when, at the end of the game, Iwobi, Welbeck, Lacazette, Aubameyang on the same pitch, and, and Spurs really dominated for large spells of this game. Yeah. I think balance is the key word to take away from this, because that is that is what they lack. They did sign big players in Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang in, in January, but they also didn't do a deal for Johnny Evans, who would have theoretically improved their defence. Um, they said they couldn't afford him, but but really they chose not to pay the demanded fee. And, and there's a big difference there. And I think this is one of the things that, that strikes me about Arsene Wenger in, in these latter years is that I look at his best teams and perhaps that's a harsh stick to, to judge him against. The the title winning side of the late 90s, the Invincibles, there was such balance throughout them. It was Petit and Vieira. It was, at times, little duos that worked so well together. Bergkamp and Henri, for example. Adams and Keown going back, a, or Adams and Ball, excuse me, going back a, a little bit further there. Um, Campbell and, and Torre. It, it surprises me that he seems to have, have not refined that process or been able to secure the players to recreate that with this current iteration, given how long he's been there, given the funds that are, are at his disposal, it just seems far more scattergun than I'm ever used to with, with Arsene Wenger. And I say that because they have someone like Alexander Lacazette who cost 50 million and yet isn't a huge contributor. Um, it, it, it strikes me as thoroughly bizarre. And while I, I do understand that markets um, have shifted and, and a 50 million pound player 10 years ago is not the same £50 million player today. It just strikes me as someone that, that's lost control, which is is dangerous when you consider, at least up until recently, recently with the installation of, of Sven Mistletoe, how much control he actually exerted or how much power he exerted. And I think that's the key here. There's a difference between control and power. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's peculiar and it does seem, again, like Arsenal still lack a true defensive midfielder and maybe a centre-half. And, and a left back and it seems like these problems that haven't really been addressed yeah they lost Alexis Sanchez yeah they've got to potentially fill it with some goals but 
if it was just Mkhitaryan that had came and they still had Lacazette as a central striker, that's fine. And I think that's the weird side of it is that we're going to see the influence of this director of football. Wenger's influence is probably going to fall as we go. We saw Ancelotti at, actually at Wembley. Ancelotti's always been rumoured to, to move to uh, you know, join Arsenal at some point in his career. He says if there's a club in, in London that he wants to manage that he hasn't obviously been at Chelsea before, it would be Arsenal. So maybe it is this sort of model where they're going to for a head coach and, and a director of football and maybe that's where they need to go to have a little bit of structure in the transfer because it, just, it does seem so weird that they haven't found a combative duo or just someone to play with a playmaker. The biggest thing that killed me for Arsenal was their lack of organisation when they were on the ball. They were so poor. You know, when we in the age of Nagelsmann, in the age of Pep Guardiola, Thomas Tuchel, look at Arsenal and you're like, what are you doing on the ball? You've got no plan on the ball. And it's, it is frustrating to, to watch you know, a football club like Arsenal that should be competing for the Premier League just so far off the pace. And it comes down to their organisation in an attacking sense. What do you make of the, the Lacazette issue? It does seem, hey, if, if you're short of confidence, I'm not sure. Those, those two pretty good chances towards the end of the game were obviously scuffed completely by him. Uh, the first, a uh, sort of a volley that may have been difficult to control, skied over most of the delight of Spurs fans at Wembley. And the second, a very good chance where Sanchez made one mistake, let him through, and he probably should have finished. I mean, can you see a place for Lacazette in this team as you're talking about? There seems to be that conflict with Aubameyang coming in to having two strikers there. Do they fit into this team together? If I was Lacazette, I'd be leaving in the summer. I'd be looking to potentially go to Atletico Madrid if, if Griezmann's going to Barcelona or Manchester United. That'd be perfect for him. Lacazette is, is an elite forward, scores goals, still don't understand why, why you know, they've both been signed. It doesn't make any sense in terms of transfer policy. And with that and with what Lacazette can do, Lacazette is a quality footballer. You know, you, you talk about the two chances. The One of the chances was, was a volley inside the box from an absolute woeful cross. The second one, he makes brilliant move in between in behind Sanchez. Abemiang hasn't caused Sanchez problem all day. He hasn't done anything that's really put him into a situation where Sanchez feels uncomfortable. He hasn't spanned him behind him. Lacazette does that. He makes the move. He gets into a great position. Yeah, he misses the target. Yeah, potentially he should be scoring that. And with a bit more confidence, he would be scoring that. But at the same time, he's there. He's made that move. He's made that run. And you, you can't just look at football in isolation where you're like, oh, that's because he's missed the chance. It means he's rubbish. Because... It's a confidence thing for the player as well as the fans. And it, it, it goes back to the whole support and, and, and sort of getting behind players at the moment. I feel with Lacazette that it's time for him to just to go already. Just because wow. you've already got this media agenda against him. Where, where do you think this leaves Arsenal right now, Chris? Uh, in context, Premier League, they're now seven points behind Spurs. It's obviously not all over for them in that race to the top four, but it's not looking good. It was interesting to hear Wenger after the game say that he's not going to prioritise the Europa League and qualifying for the Champions League through that route but surely that's something he should be considering now massively so it, it, it's crazy to me we, we sat here last year and talked about Jose Mourinho being in an, an identical situation and saying look it makes total sense to throw all of your eggs into the Europa League it's it's weaker competition um, comparative to their standard I don't know if I'd say the same of Arsenal right this second obviously Ostersunds is a different story but that's the best route. That's the, arguably the most efficient route into the Champions League. So then that means that Arsene Wenger is now looking at the league as his option. And I just don't know if they're set up to do that. I think for a team that wants to counter-attack, they're, they're not built for that. They're, there's, like I say, a lot of players like Welbeck and Lacazette that I don't think fit the way they want to play. And, and you know, I, th I think 
Dave makes a really valid point that they don't seem to have a plan on the ball, and that's that's just one of the many issues. Let's not even get on to, to what Granit Xhaka does in this team because I think it's impossible to truly define. And I think it it just points to me, if I'm an Arsenal fan, and even if I'm not really, that the the time on, on Arsene Wenger's tenure at the club has got to be up in the summer. I struggle to see how he leads them into a new dawn. Yes, they did better business in January and, and a good portion of that was not down to his influence. So then you have to look on the pitch and say, OK, well, is he doing things tactically that are keeping this team where they need to be? And the short answer to that is now. Let's get back on Spurs, though. That's what we really want to talk about, isn't it, Dave? Um, let's talk about the performance of one player in particular, uh, Moussa Dembele. Uh, for me, potentially one of the man of the matches in this game. Uh, I saw a lot of think pieces, a lot of articles about how Barney Roney, in particular on The Guardian, saying he's becoming the ultimate midfield controller. Uh, were you impressed with his uh, performance in the North London derby? It makes me laugh. It really does. Like Dembele was a really underrated player when he was at Fulham. He was really underrated at the start of his tenure at Spurs. And now he's fundamentally overrated. It's absolutely crazy. Spurs should have won this game 4-0. The reason why they didn't was because Dembele lacked that pass in between the lines into the front three behind the striker. The amount of time that that pass was open and Dembele would check back on himself and play a backwards pass was ridiculous. In the first half, obviously, we want to talk about the stats. In the first half um, against Arsenal, he completed 37 out of his 37 passes. Not one of those passes really broke the lines. And I think that's a big problem with Dembele. and, And that is... Ultimately, his problem as a player is he's never going to be a guy that is going to break those lines with the ball at his feet. He can carry through the lines, yeah. I think that's great, but that's a bit is, one-dimensional. Is to it, be a um, complete footballer, you need to play through. Is it a case? I mean, we, we I sort of knew what you were going to say there because we, we discussed it briefly at the pub after the game. Um, I thought it was quite an interesting point you raised. Is it, is it that we can't criticise Dembele for what he's not? But can we use his performance and use these aspects that you're highlighting to say that maybe Spurs are missing that creativity from deep in midfield? You've got Wanyama, you've got Dyer, you've got Dembele there. Are all of them sort of missing that 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 vision, that ability, as you say, to pass between the lines? It's not necessarily the case that Moussa Dembele isn't good enough. It's more a case that that's an aspect Spurs can be working on. Perhaps that's what Harry Winks brings to the side when he's there? Yeah, no, I think that is it. I think Harry Winks is that guy. I think that... Earlier on in the season when Harry Rinks was playing in certain games, he, he did that role and he did that role really well. And I think moving the Spurs team on, you've always got to think about the evolution of your side. You can never get stuck. I think playing two strong defensive midfielders is, is, is good in, in big games. But again, I think it's what does Spurs do? Like what's the next iteration of this Spurs team? And potentially it's a three-man midfield with Wanyama holding or Dyer holding Dembele with someone that can play that pass in between the lines. That could be what the next sort of phase of this, maybe throwing Ericsson a little bit deeper. It's been done in a 3-5-2. We haven't really seen it in a 4-3-3 yet. Maybe that's the next step because it's he's a fantastic player and what he did well was destroy. What he did was break up and he did the Dembele things well. But to say he's a complete midfielder is utter bollocks. Kevin De Bruyne is a complete midfielder. Kevin De Bruyne does it all. He tackles, he intercepts, he wins the ball high, he creates, he gets assists, he gets hat-tricks of assists, he scores goals. Dembele isn't Kevin De Bruyne. So to describe him as a complete with someone like De Bruyne in the same league who I plays think... every single week, it's <laughs> To be fair to Barney, Rudy, he, he, described really him, he described him as a midfield, the ultimate midfield controller. And I think he, he's got a yeah, point. Yeah, the ultimate that... midfield controller is Tony Cruz. I can see the point. I understand your point. I understand the point that uh, Barney Rona is making in the Guardian. I think 
you know, it's also a case of, you know, we're talking about the lack of fight, the lack of character, lack of intensity from Arsenal. That midfield made it look easy for Dembele. It was easy for him to dominate in that midfield when you're up against Jack Wilshere and Granit Xhaka. Of course, Moussa Dembele is going to come up on top of that battle. But um, I think he had a fantastic game. But I think there is a valid point in that maybe that's something missing for Spurs. Um, at the same time, though, you do have to say, for Spurs, they've had a very tough run recently. They had Manchester United, obviously, in midweek last week, which they won 2-0. A game against Liverpool where they fought back to win 2-all. And, of course, now... <laughs> to win 2-all. <laughs> Did I say win 2-all? That's brilliant. That's nearly as good as my agenda with Manchester United. I love that ball. Good work. <laughs> Did I say win 2-all? You just said win 2-all. <laughs> Sorry, I'll say it again. No, you've got to leave that in. Bowman, no, you've got to leave that in. Uh, yeah, they had, a two, leave it in. they had a two-all win. Uh, we all know it was a Spurs win. Just look how salty the Liverpool fans are. It was a win. Um, but three wins. Well, technically two wins and one draw, Chris. Uh, very good run of results coming into that. Uh, coming into this game against Juventus. Obviously, coming up in midweek. Um, Spurs now in pole position, would you feel like, for a top-four place? Obviously, there's still competition from Liverpool and Chelsea, but it's a fantastic run for Spurs. They're in a better place than you might have expected them to be after that tough run. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the game against Juventus is going to be incredibly tough. You haven't actually conceded a goal in, in 2018, um, which I think tells you everything you need to know about, about their defence, which, again, was hugely influential for them on the, the road to the final last season. Um, I think what I admire about Tottenham is that they seem like they're in a much stronger position from a bargaining standpoint. And what I mean by that is I look at the situation that unfolded with, with Danny Rose when he gave that interview and, and talked about wanting to be away. That seemed to me at the time, and I think to a lot of people, like it could have been the first crack of a number of cracks that ultimately set the team back a, a few steps. Actually, it's put them in a position where really Rose can give that interview and it's fine because I think a lot more players would be willing to to come to Tottenham especially younger players because they they sense the development potential for themselves and and I think they know that perhaps a bit like Kyle Walker if they do play well and if they do succeed they will get a move or they will be at a club um, that achieves and challenges for titles whether that's Tottenham or whether that's another club that, that comes in for them and I think certainly the the murmurs of the situation with Alderweireld are not perfect, but I think in general that is one of the reasons that, that Spurs have handled this situation a little bit better. I think they're more cohesive as a unit off the field now as well. Yeah, I mean the, the Alderweireld situation. You know, he's, he's obviously back fit. He, he played in the FA Cup against Newport last week, left out of the squad for this North London derby. Uh, many presuming so he was available for this Champions League tie against Juventus on Tuesday night. He's reportedly been left out of that squad. As well, uh, and and some, as Chris says, there murmurs that you know this could be to do with the contract situation, a little bit of drama there. I mean, regardless, Dave, I think one thing to highlight with the Alvaro situation is alongside him in defence when he was present, and obviously who, as someone who stepped up in his absence has not only been Jan Vertonghen but Davinson Sanchez, a young player who, at the age of 21, Spurs record signing, has been a fantastic presence for Spurs at the back, and again. You know, we, we we highlighted that mistake he may have made against Lacazette in the closing stages, but apart from that, he, he was pretty much faultless in this game, wasn't he? Dan? Yeah, he's going to be better than Alderweireld. He has a much higher ceiling. Uh, he's going to be one of the top defenders in world football. So you lose Alderweireld, you've got a player ready to go. Like Chris has mentioned, Spurs need to position themselves in the market as a team that can develop youngsters. But I think the key part of it is that they can keep the youngsters. I think what Dortmund have, have done recently with their you know, signing all these wonderful young players, but then letting Dembele go, that's a bit of a, break, a broken policy because surely they should have kept Dembele until he's like 24, 25 and then sell him. Spurs need to be that. They need to be a team that 
players come in at 19, players come in at 21, they stay at Spurs until they're 25, then they go. You know, that's the sort of positioning. And I think with someone like Davison Sanchez in, you know, someone that's got a full package as a defender, had that last season for Ajax. He's improved, you know, even under Pochettino, I think he's improved his game still. The slight weaknesses, I think, Aerially, he needs to be able to boss a situation like Toby Aravero could do. I think that's something that he could learn from uh, the Belgian defender. But again, he's a wonderful talent and he's got it all in terms of the raw attributes, the speed, the, the ability to accelerate and cover ground. And, you know, I'm a massive fan of Davidson Sanchez. And Spurs got him on for an absolute bargain for 41 million. They're going to make a fortune out of the young Colombia. He's not going anywhere, Dave. We're not going to make a fortune out of him. We're just going to, we're going to reap the rewards on the pitch. Um, I mean, it's an interesting point that Dave brings up. Uh, you're talking about how Spurs, I mean, they're constantly linked with players leaving. That's always the talk around this club when they're doing well. Uh, for me, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, Dave, on Saturday in the pub, but I mean... Who's actually going to buy these players? We talk about Kane leaving for Real Madrid. I don't think that's going to happen, at least not for another year or so. He's going to want to play at that new stadium with Spurs. I think he's ultimately going to want to break the Premier League goal-scoring record, and I can't see him doing that in the Premier League with another team apart from Spurs because of that loyalty, because of that aspect of being one of our own. Um, I mean, other players, we're looking at Ericsson, Ali, Lloris. I mean, who's actually going to buy these players? Ericsson, someone who's been linked with Barcelona continually, they're not going to go from now. They've got Coutinho. I mean, Real Madrid, are they going to go for Lloris over De Gea? I don't think so. It feels like there's always these rumours, there's always a speculation around Spurs players, but I feel, you know, realistically speaking, yes, maybe one or two may be picked off this summer, depending on if Spurs win silverware, if they finish in the top four, which we've just said is looking pretty good. I think Spurs can survive if they lose a player, let's say, for example, Deli Alley, because you're going to get 60, 70, 80, 90 million for him. He is replaceable. But we're not going to lose Harry Kane, for one, who's the most important player, and we're not going to lose the core of this side. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of speculation around these Spurs players, but it feels like, it feels in some ways like it's not, not warranted. It's not linked to specific clubs, and therefore it is just baseless speculation almost to almost undermine the club. I think that's a really good point. I think for, for Christian Eriksen specifically, um, I think had Barcelona not bought Coutinho, I'd have been pushing that as a potential landing spot for him. I think you make a very good point about Kane. I think there's an association there and a loyalty there that will at least see him there for another 12 months, in which time anything could happen. Um, I suppose could win the, the Premier League. You know, Lord knows they could even win the Champions League if, if things stack up right for them. Um it's it all depends on uh, on you know how how many of their ducks line up. I, I do think that's the the most important step now moving forward though is who they then go and buy because I think it, they've got this great core they've got this great nucleus that you referenced there. It's those next wave of players. Is it Wilfred Zaha? I know Paulo Dybala has, has been talked about very very tentatively. But that's the kind of player that you could see Spurs going for now because of what they're, they're doing and what they're achieving. Um, I think that for Spurs up until this point, buying players of a, of a high price, if not always a high calibre, has been the issue. Um, the club's biggest purchases, Davinson Sanchez aside, haven't gone according to plan. Um, Lamella is, has been really unfortunate with injury, but I think in Soldado and Sissoko, you see two transfer processes that were very flawed in their uh, idea and execution. And I think 
that's where I really need Spurs to improve in this next sort of 6 to 12, 18 months is a team that can go out, can identify what they need. So in this case, a, a winger in the mould of Zaha or Richarlison or whoever, sign them and have them succeed, having done their due diligence on the player in the first place. I think that's the, the key next step now. It's it's building on the platform. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how the Lucas Moura signing works out in that respect. Um, but it feels like Spurs have got a very strong squad now, something that we haven't had really for a long, long time. If ever, you know, Toby Alderweireld, Harry Winks, Fernando Llorente weren't even in the matchday squad for the North London derby. So I think that shows, finally, Spurs have got the strength in depth. Before we move on, though, Dave, are Spurs going to finish in the top four? Yeah, I can kind of see the top four finishing as it is now, to be honest, with Chelsea's hit and miss form, uh, Conte potentially on his way out, Arsenal struggling. I can kind of see it like this. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Liverpool, Tottenham, Man United and City. Oh, Manchester United are going to finish second, though, Dave. They've uh, they've dropped some points this weekend against Newcastle. Um, I mean, we'll come on to to what was a fantastic win for Rafa Benitez's side. But first off, Dave, I mean, what went wrong for you for Manchester United? This is the game they could and should have won. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it came down to some fantastic goalkeeping um, from Bibrovnik. I think his name is fantastic keeper coming in. You know, mate. Some really, really good saves. At the same time, United weren't clinical enough. And I think it's been the problem for Manchester United since Ferguson left is they just don't really take their chances on a consistent basis. You know, you think Anthony Martial had three massive opportunities and he failed to put the ball in the back of the net. And he's a young player. And I think that's the big thing with Manchester United is there's a lot of young players. This team is so far away from its peak and that's the exciting side to it. There'll be blips here, you know. Goalkeepers having worldies. Remember last season, that happened about four or five times where keepers would come to Old Trafford and have the best game of their life. Um, and I think it just happened. I think that you, these, ga- these games sort of come and go. The big thing with United, it doesn't really matter. And that's the sad part of it, is United have struggled this season and they're sitting second in the Premier League. They've been so inconsistent this season and they're second in the Premier League. They've had absolutely they've had some centre-half performances from L and they're second in the Premier League. And I think that's a big thing that you've got to consider that even though United, there's so much room for improvement in this Manchester United team, they're second. They are behind City. They're a long way behind City in terms of points. And, and, you know, it's pretty much game over. But at the same time, there's room for improvement. And these players can improve and can evolve. And, and then they've got like a title winning side. I think the big thing with someone like Anthony Martial, needs to play on the right wing more. He needs to be able to be, be able to play on the right wing as well as the left. And that is a big thing with his development. We talk about players like Robin Van Persie that Arsenal played on the left, played on the right, played behind the striker, played as a striker, and then eventually became a striker. That's where you get that's where you get the best complete forwards. 
for players that have played everywhere. So when they're in the, on the right wing, they know what to do. Because at the moment when Anthony Martial receives the ball on that right wing, he doesn't know what to do. And you'll see him tend to drift to the left wing, which is not what you want, not the balance you want in the attacking third. So I think he needs to improve again. The 1v1 that was created by a brilliant move, United out the back, Lukaku laying off to Matic, Matic through ball, fantastic save 1v1. Martial needs to be finishing that better. You see what he does, he opens himself up, he, it's, it's telegraphed, it's so easy to, for the keeper to read what he's doing. In that situation, he needs to work on his left foot and he needs to work on power, striking it across the keeper. They're two things that he needs to do. The big thing that I remember about Cristiano Ronaldo and Carlos Quiroz when they used to work together after training from reading about it is he basically broke down the penalty area, Carlos Quiroz, in and around the penalty area and the penalty area, worked on Ronaldo from every single angle in terms of left foot, right foot. Uh, inside foot, outside the foot, clean it, you know, striking it cleanly. So Martial needs to take that approach. He needs to be that clinical. It's fantastic when coming in from the left-hand side and his right. But I'd say that that's his only real finish. That's his go-to move. Like my clone, when he was coming through, he had a go-to move. My clone evolved himself and won the Ballon d'Or. Martial needs to do the same. Chris, before we talk about Newcastle, uh, talk to me about what Dave just said there. It's an interesting point he makes. Almost a narrative around Manchester United. There is this perception that they're somewhat underachieving, especially in comparison to their neighbours, whereas teams that are below them, Liverpool and Spurs, are seen as kind of almost the best of the rest, the teams who are overperforming, who are, who are having a fantastic season. Is there a, is there a mischaracterization in that for you over Manchester United, over Mourinho's performances? Uh, no, not really, because I think there's been a significant investment. Um, I think there's been a lot of freedom or trust empowered in him. Uh, you look at the signing of Sanchez, you look at the signing of Matic, they're very much plays that he sought out and, and seen as central to his vision. But I don't really know how they all fit together. I think Matic is, is fairly obvious in terms of he's there to shield the, the defence. The concern is, is that there's been a lot of talk lately, especially from Chelsea fans, saying that his trajectory at Man United has kind of mirrored his trajectory at Chelsea. Uh, um, that it started really well and then it kind of tailed off sort of post-Christmas. Um, I think it, it's always going to be difficult for Mourinho anyway because you have to remember his career has been founded almost solely on the intention that results are irrelevant. Uh, it's achievements that matter. And I think, or excuse me, that performance is irrelevant. It's results that matter. And I think when you set yourself up like that, which he has done by winning Champions Leagues with Inter and in, in, in ways that were less than desirable. I always think back to the, the second leg at, uh, at Barcelona as a, as a prime example of that. It, it's going to come back to, to bite you because when you're not achieving anything, fans are left questioning what you're actually building or what your purpose is at the club. And I think that's why we're seeing these calls of it being too big a job for him because I think he's, he's nestled in this, this awkward space where he can't claim he's an underdog because financially he's spending more than every team but City. And so it, it can't he can't paint himself in that light anymore because he's got vast resources, um, and I think that's that's causing him a lot of trouble. Is I mean, Chris references there, Dave uh, John Bruin, formerly of ESPN, saying that the Manchester United job is proving too big for Jose Mourinho. I saw Ken Early of the Second Act, uh, Second Captains podcast, best podcast going, uh, that a real manager would be able to solve a problem like Paul Pogba. I mean, what do you make of some of these accusations? I mean, specifically the Paul Pogba situation. I mean, is this something that's being blown out of proportion or is there a more serious issue going on here with the Frenchman? Well, I think the first thing, Adam, there you mentioned that the, the, the Second Captains was the best podcast ever. That was my first mistake. Um, <laughs> 
that was a, that was an allegation that is completely incorrect. Apologies. The whole it's my, it's my favorite. Three. Sorry, I should have said my, my favorite. It's not the should best. Should probably tweet out and bolt with some some hate, some abuse. He's letting the hole down. <laughs> yeah. You know, Apologies. Send Freire rushes out to every single listener of this week's podcast. Adam, is, is this a Mourinho style? A- is this a Mourinho style distraction tactic, Dave? <laughs> It's called propaganda, Adam. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> no, I think it's. I, I don't. I don't think it. I think Mourinho's. Like I mentioned before, United's a big, big challenger because of, of how the club has been maybe mismanaged from the the end of the Ferguson reign in terms of the the management of the club and the signings and so forth. So, I think it's uh, it's it's work in progress. And like I said before, United are second in the Premier League, and resources resource in this day and age. And you've just got to get the players and the spend. I don't fall into. No, I don't really fall into that sort of argument of uh, you know the reason why Mourinho's failing. I don't think Mourinho's failing. I think Mourinho is making you know he's turning United back into what they were before, competing for the Premier League. Hopefully next season. I think the Champions League, Manchester United are going to be very competitive. But he's playing Pogba that's, position, that's Dave. He doesn't know what to do with Pogba. He just. Maybe you should just watch a bit of Statman Dave and see that there's a bit of a great video on my channel that explained why Paul Pogba should play in a three-man midfield. He did, in fact, play in a three-man midfield against um, Newcastle, but I think the problem there was maybe it wasn't a game to play Jess Lingard in central midfield. I felt like Scott McTominay was the better option, not only because Scott McTominay is a central midfielder and you've got to kind of control these games from the middle of the park, but also because United had nothing from the bench. And I think that was a bit of a mistake from Mourinho starting all the four forwards because there was no impact there. There was no impact to him to go, look, I can bring on Anthony Martial. I can really, you know, I can bring on some more attacking players. And I think that was a bit of a mistake from Mourinho, if I'm going to be honest. But again, it's, he, he needs to get some, he needs to construct this defence better. Eric Bay has been a little bit injury prone over the last 18 months. He's in that team. That defence is, is 10 times better and I think that's something that Mourinho may need to get right. It's just maybe signing another centre-half. Or what I would love him to do is to commit to Victor Lindelof and commit to a centre-back and commit to the, the sort of the Swedish sensation, a wonderful player on the ball. And I think that's it. It's just working little things into little holes. This season, it doesn't really matter. Again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we lose to Newcastle. All we need to get is in the Champions League. Coming second would be great for progression. But it, it's all about competing in the in the Champions League for me. And I think that's what Mourinho sees. And we'll see that against Sevilla. It'll be a ruthless performance from United. And then United will be in the quarterfinals. Then we'll see Mourinho again in these big games. And that is what United fans want. We'll talk about that, that particular preview next week. Um, but they want that. Let's talk about Newcastle then, Chris. Um, obviously a fantastic win. I think it lifts them up to, to 13th. That obviously very tight at the bottom of the table. Um, do you think this goes some way to... Uh, to building that optimism around the club that they could potentially believe they can avoid relegation now? Yeah, I, th- I think this was a massive result because of the results that uh, occurred elsewhere. They they did kind of need this win. I think even just the fact that their home form has been so dire this season. Um, the last one, I think, was October Correct. against Crystal Palace. Um and and it's it a lot of times it's been a case of so nearly so far. I mean, I look at the Bournemouth game where they have a goal ruled out um, incorrectly, the Burnley one where Burnley were, were really poor for eighty minutes, and then sort of last kick of the game it, it um, pretty much it, it goes in, and and then they almost lose that game. In fact, never mind draw it. Um, so it's it's really it's really important for them. At the same time, I, it, to me, watching it, it felt less like it was. 
an unexpected performance and more like the refinement of a season's work, which might sound weird given the position they're in. But I thought from starting at the centre-backs, they were a nice blend of aggressive, but also able to, to play with a bit of confidence out of the back. Um, the central midfield partnership had a similar sort of fluency to it and that it provided cover for the centre-backs, but they were also able to find the forward players when they needed to. And then slightly less so, but I thought up top, there was a lot of industry there, if not always danger and threat. Um, there was a great shot for a penalty in the first half that, that Dwight Gale was was unfortunate not to get. Um, and I think what you're seeing is, is slowly um, sort of Rafa Benitez and his his intention tactically play itself out in a, in a positive way. And, and that's before we even touch on the, the performance of Martin Dubravka, who I thought was that's the best goalkeeping performance I've seen from a Newcastle keeper this season, um, if not the last two seasons, in fact. And then there's obviously Slomani sitting on the side there waiting to come in and maybe give them a little bit more of a, a clinical edge. Feels like, uh, yeah, feels like a very shrewd signing. Um, they've got tough-ish running, running coming up, Newcastle. Um, Bournemouth, Liverpool, Southampton, Tottenham, Huddersfield. So although there's two big away games, uh, tough games at Tottenham and Liverpool, that's where there's opportunities now to, to build some points, Chris, and build momentum, maintain it from this game. Yeah, I mean, that's see, that's one of the curious things. When you talk about the, the difficult games there, obviously they've got Southampton at home, which you might think is, is winnable, but given the, the current home form of late, I would, I would question, I would um, hope, stroke, imagine they would win that, speaking as a fan for a second. But actually it's the away games where they're an interesting proposition because with Lascelles in particular, and, and more so I think even now with, with Lejeune coming back and being fit, they don't concede a lot of goals, Um it's it's less than one a game and while they certainly don't score a lot either they, they are sort of set up to nick those one nil type results that we've seen Burnley and Sean Dyche um, produce so often so I think it, it could be an interesting couple of weeks for them um, the Huddersfield game is a difficult one because I don't think Huddersfield will come out and, and really attack them the Liverpool one is difficult because it's Liverpool and yet I could see them frustrating Liverpool for long periods it's 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 how they keep their concentration. That's always the key with, with this side because one mistake is one goal and, and they rarely score more than one goal. Before we move on, uh, Dave, uh, are Manchester United going to have to give Manchester City a guard of honour on the 7th of April in the Manchester derby nope. if things Absolutely keep going like this? Nope. You sure? Ooh. I mean, Gary Neville himself said he's not available for Manchester Derby. He's preemptively ruled himself out just in case it happens. Yeah, I think I'm busy that weekend as well. Yeah. Yeah. You won't be on the front three that week. Before we go then, guys, we do have to talk the Champions League. The last 16 is back this week. Some huge ties. We're going to preview them briefly now. Um, first up on Tuesday night, huge game for Tottenham. Chris, coming off the back of this big win in the North London derby, I mean, you mentioned it briefly there, against Juventus, um, very intriguing game. We're talking about Spurs side who are coming off this fantastic run of form, but also who beat Real Madrid and knocked out Borussia Dortmund in the group stages. But it feels like Juventus uh, could, be a, could be a bigger <laughs> challenge. What are you laughing at, Dave, now? Your agenda today is brilliant. Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get on. I'm trying to get on your level, mate. I'm mate trying to get it's on your the group level. stages. You cut, it's not a knockout. Of course, but what I'm saying is, Juventus obviously is going to be a, a much bigger challenge in the knockouts. <laughs> Real Madrid, uh, you know, not at their highest there right now. So therefore, this is going to be the toughest challenge that Spurs have potentially faced this season, Chris. 
Yeah, I think it. I think it is. Um, I mean, we're seeing that slightly with. The I think we're seeing that slightly with the benefit of hindsight because obviously Real Madrid have had uh, some real struggles in in the last few months. They're way off the pace domestically. Um, I think for me the 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 intriguing thing in this match is that Real Madrid game. It was very well set up for for Tottenham. It allowed them to be underdogs. It allowed them to to soak up pressure and to use their skills in a way that that really unsettled Real Madrid. I don't feel like Juventus will be that naive. Um, I don't feel that they'll come out that aggressively. And this is also a team, as I say, that has such a fantastic defence. It hasn't conceded a goal in 2018 in any competition. You go back even um, prior to that, it, it was a solid defence. The, the one thing, and it, it feels like hypercritical to even mention it, is that, yes, they did not have the best record in the group stages um, I think they conceded five all told which you compare that to the year previous they only conceded two in the group stages so it dropped but only dropped by their high standards um, and so I think this will be a tough one for for Tottenham I'd be very surprised if it's more than a 1-0 or a 1-1 personally I think it's it's got a really narrow result painted all over it for me I mean Dave, sounds like you think uh, Juventus are going to coast for on this one. I mean, they're missing Paolo Dybala, they're missing Blaise Matuidi. That gives Spurs fans hope, right? No, no, I, I, I've called back Spurs in the Champions League this season. But I, would, I, think, I think they'll turn them over. I think that wow. without someone like a Benucci that can really step out and dictate, if Spurs take a similar approach that they did to Borussia Dortmund, where they sit off a little bit at Wembley, and we, you know, we spoke about the big Wembley pitch before, if they can sit off and allow Son, Eriksen and Ali and Kane to counter-attack, that is where, how I'd sort of go with this game if I was Pochettino. I think what we saw with Juventus last season, structurally they were brilliant, that they reacted really well to shape. But Danny Elvis is gone. Danny Elvis was brilliant in the Champions League last season, playing in, as a right midfielder, not a right back. Let's make that clear again so people don't forget. Um, but I think what they did well was they, they soaked up pressure and they counter-attacked well with Dybala. That game against uh, Barca, he was fantastic. Dybala's not there. They're, they're playing a different style this season. They're playing with, with more wingers. You know, I think Costa and Douglas Costa, that is, and, of course, Bernadeschi. And it's a different Juve. And if you, you're Tottenham, you're, you're letting Pjanic have the ball, you're letting Pjanic dictate, you're looking for Dembele, you're looking for Wanyama to nick it, then quick transition counter-attack the flank, down the flanks. You've got to think this Juventus team is another year older. Age is eventually going to catch up to them. I think about the job that uh, Chiellini did on Mbappe and, and, Re- and Juventus sorry, as a whole did on Mbappe. They're very physical with him. They first 30 minutes, he was really good in the, the quarter-final, but, sorry, the semi-final. Then they started to put big tackles into him. Dan, Danny Alves absolutely cleaned him out. But if you do that to Harry Kane, I don't think that's going to intimidate him. I don't think you put a big tackle on Harry Kane, he's going to go out of the game. I think he's going to be get more into the game. And I think if they try and intimidate Kane, they try and bully him, they'll find that Harry Kane is, is more of a physical player than you know someone like Kylian Mbappe. He can't be bullied. And I just I just think it's it's all set up to, to be this this victory for Spurs, to be quite frank, and then to go away for, to, to Turin and hit them on the counter again. I, I'm, I'm feeling even more confident than I, than I was beforehand. Dave, I like that. Um, yeah, going to be very interesting uh, to see how this one goes. Uh, next up on Tuesday, we've also got Basel, Manchester City, another Premier League team in action. Um, City, surely the favourites to go through in this one, Dave? Yeah, um, Basel, obviously, bits of a win against United, but they weren't great. United weren't great in that game. Um, 
I think that City are, are far too good for this Basel team, to be honest. I, I don't rate them that well. They, they really struggled through the group. And I think City, are, what City are doing at the moment to teams, you know, it's going to be another absolute hammering, I can see. Ooh, what are you thinking? Four, five nil? Surely not. Um, let's go with six, just to... Yeah, really I mean, Aguero's on form. He's got four at the weekend. I, I, I think I'd fancy him against this uh, this Basel defence. Um, we also have, on Wednesday, Porto against Liverpool. Chris, um, another potential intriguing tie. Liverpool, of course, you know, it could be argued they have one of the best front threes, great podcast, in Europe. Uh, the likes of Salah, Firmino, Mane, now with Virgil van Dijk in the defence. Uh, do you think they're too strong for Porto? Or do you think Porto could spring a surprise? Yeah, it's an intriguing one, this, because Porto have, have been a bit Jekyll and Hyde in so much as domestically they are right on course. They haven't been beaten all season. They've been beaten in 21. And they've only conceded 10 goals. Um, at the same time, in the Champions League, they've also conceded 10 goals and they were beaten by uh, Besiktas, they were beaten by RB Leipzig and they got to this stage, I think, by beating Monaco on the last day, something like 5-2 or a, a mad scoreline like that. Um, there's definitely quality in there and I do like Sergio Conceição as a coach. Um, the the sort of turnaround of Musa Morega has been nothing short of, of mind-blowing. Um, this was a player that didn't look like he could hit a a barn door with a banjo as this and now seems to, to score goals for fun um, after a spell I think it was at Victoria where he, he kind of picked himself back up again you put him in a booba car that's enough of a danger for me for that Liverpool defence having seen what we have of it so far I can see both teams scoring I'm not sure on the actual score like my, my gut when I think of it right this second is 2-1 Liverpool but I could be hor- horribly wrong about that 2-1 Liverpool, would you agree with that, Dave? See it, see it being a, a Liverpool away win at Porto? I think the thing with Liverpool is they're, they're a bit strange, aren't they, in the Champions League? You think of the, the Sevilla game, what were they, 3-0 up? And then they, Sevilla came back to 3-0. And, and yeah. like Chris is saying, Porto have, have got a good strike force there that could cause this Liverpool team a lot of problems. You think about the space that Liverpool have been weak under Jurgen Klopp, down the full-backs. I think they could, there's a lot of you know pace in, in that Porto side, especially up top, that could trouble them. But for me, I think Liverpool have... With Van Dijk and Van Dijk's performance against Southampton, he was fantastic. And I think with him in the side, Liverpool will be a lot more commanding from centre-half when they're on the ball. And that's where Porto could catch them or would have previously caught them. So I think I think Liverpool will, will comfortably win, um, take a lead back to Anfield, maybe 3-1. 3-1, I like that. Um, of course, the big game this week. Let's not, let's not lie about it. Uh, it's Real Madrid... PSG, a huge fixture in the Champions League, uh, a massive matchup. Dave, how do you see this one going? Because obviously, I think PSG would have been the favourites um, for many. Although Real Madrid are starting to show signs they might be sort of getting back to their best in the league. They scored eleven goals in the last three games. They could pose a threat to uh, to Unai Emery's side. Um, I think that PSG are going to get thumped by Real in terms of not thumped in a scoreline, but. They're going to be outclassed, I think, is, is the, the, what I want to go with. From watching that Bayern game against PSG in the group stages, Bayern beating them 2-0, Bayern team that struggled a bit, uh, just got a new manager in and were still finding their feet. You're thinking this PSG team would tear them apart, but they didn't. And Bayern was structurally fantastic. And I think that's something that Real Madrid can easily slip back into. Real Madrid are pretty much this Champions League beast. And I think that's what they're going to be doing this season, is focusing on that. Of course, the league is pretty much done. 
they could pretty much rest players into the knockout stage. And I think with Zidane, if he goes back to this 4-3-3, 4-5-1, that's how you can catch out PSG. Organisation, players like Vasquez, players like Asensio coming off the bench. That's what Real did so well last season, was take a lead, control the game with Tony Cruz, and then look to hit people on the break. And that's what they could do again. I don't think there's... Obviously, Real Madrid have struggled this season, but they've got that cup mentality. And I think as soon as the Champions League comes back, that's the game for them. You know, you think Ronaldo's goal scoring in the Champions League has been fine. Um, obviously, it's in the league. It's been a bit dodged, but it's starting to resurrect that. So, for me, it's, it's going to be all about Real Madrid. I think if they play a diamond, that's the only issue. Zidane needs to be a bit smarter with his diamond. Diamond worked so well last season because of the rise of the 4-4-2. Again, you're looking at PSG. They ain't going to play 4-4-2. They pretty much play like, you know, a 4-3-3 with Draxler in central midfield who ends up being an attacking midfielder. There's so much space on the break. And if Real can tap into that counter-attack, game, set, match. Are you along the same lines there, Chris? Who's your money on, PSG or Real Madrid? Oh, I hate this one because I don't know what I want to think about PSG. Because to be very honest, someone got really snotty with me when I said that I didn't fancy PSG's chances to go that far. Um, so there's part of me wants, wants validation. Um I think I said something like 2 or 3-1 um, because that's the thing Real Madrid much like Porto massive Jekyll and Hyde side Ronaldo can't seem to score domestically but he's got 9-6 in six in the Champions League um, so I think yeah I think maybe he turns it on again and he just kind of uh, fires them to victory say 2 yeah let's say 2 or 3-1 Real Madrid because I, th- I think PSG can score but I think they can just as likely concede goals Okay, well, there we have it, guys. Let us know what you think on Twitter at the front free, who you're backing in these huge Champions League ties. That does bring an end to the weekend review for now. We're going to be back on Thursday to talk about all those big Champions League fixtures and the results and Spurs. Momentous win over Juventus, of course. Um, but before then, Dave, uh, where can the good people, where can the whole find you? Is there anything on your plug this week? Any YouTube videos, etc.? Got loads of stuff coming out this week, actually. I think I've emerged from The Verge. The, the whole of you know creativity that I was in for a bit. Um, got got something coming out today. Got something coming out tomorrow. Something coming out Thursday. So yeah, wow. get excited. Wow. Get excited, lads and, and ladies. Well, I'm, I'm excited. The Statmen, the the United Statmen, I'm sure are very excited. Uh, Chris, anything uh, you want to plug? Where can people find you this week? Uh, on the front three Twitter account. Yeah, largely and exclusively. You can find and, and New York. You'll be wandering around New York so people can see you in New York. Yes, but they'll have to be quick because I'll leave on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to be whole of the week, listener of the week, get your reviews in on iTunes. Rate and review the front three to be in with a chance of winning some beautiful Ferrero Rocher chocolates. We will see you on Thursday. Until then, enjoy the Champions League football. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.